our passage for this morning, which is in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. That's what we're going to look at, Ruth chapter 2. Here it is. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the, Moab, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I can find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field uh, to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. And later, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. And Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? A servant answered him, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. And she asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she has rested a little in the shelter. And Boaz uh, said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me how you left your father and mother and your native land, how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I'm not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. It doesn't sound very yummy, but anyway. Um, so she ate beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. And when she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles uh, for her and leave them uh, for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she gathered, and it was about 20 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her, from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, The, man, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our kinsmen. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabite said, He has also told me, Stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So, so Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you 
to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you truly are all that we need. Lord, and we are coming before you now just like Ruth and Naomi begging for bread. Lord, we are asking you to provide us with our daily bread. I hear uh, from your word by the power of your spirit here this morning, Lord God. Um, Lord, we cannot, I cannot convince anyone of your reality, Lord, and of their great need for you and their need of daily bread. Lord, only you can do that by the power of your spirit. I pray you would do it now in Christ's name. So, uh, last Sunday, we started looking at the book of Ruth in the Bible. It's in the first part of the Bible uh, called the Old Testament. You guys might want to turn that down just a little bit because I'm talking really quiet, and I'm going to amp it up later on. Uh, you know how I'll do it. Uh, start out this way, and I'm going to ramp it up. Um, yeah, so it's only four chapters, and it is a story, right? Now, when I say it's a story, I don't mean it's not a true story. There's plenty of stories out in the world that are true stories, okay? But it is a story, four chapters. And uh, it's part of a much larger story, which is the Bible, right? I don't know your background with the Bible and your experience, but the Bible is a story, a true story. So starts with the beginning and goes all the way to the end. It's very big, right? And Ruth is a part of, uh, of the Bible story. Um, it's about a widow who was left behind without her husband, uh, her sons, and a foreigner, an alien named Ruth, uh, who was in a similar state, and a bachelor from a small town. That's what this story uh, is about. It makes me think the author uh, might have been a fan of the band Journey. Is anybody uh, a Journey fan in here? It's okay. It's okay to confess those things here. We got one. We got one. Yeah. It's just a small town girl living in a lonely world, right? Yeah, don't stop believing. She took the midnight train going anywhere. See, the Bible is very panoramic, okay? It is expansive from the beginning of history all the way to the end, but it's also portrait. Okay, it's panoramic. You know how you got on your phone, you got the panoramic view, and then you got the portrait. So it zooms in here on the, in the book of Ruth on this little family, right? It is portrait uh, right here. And you know, it's just, just, this is just everyday people. This is just ordinary stuff. You know, a, a small town girl, small town guy, right? They're just doing ordinary things. Uh, and it's a story uh, about their life. And you know what? It helps us to think about our stories, right? So that's the first thing I want us to really consider this morning is that you have a story. Yeah, you have a story. Everybody's got a story. What's your story? We can't hear everybody's story here this morning, but just I want you to think about it. What is your story? Everybody has a story. Here's, here's what a story is. It involves plot, setting, I'm bringing back your, your, your high school uh, English here. Characters, point of view, and conflict. Your life has uh, all these parts uh, as well. Your life has a setting. That is, well, where did it happen? Where have you been? Somehow you ended up in this room this morning. 
Yeah, something brought you here, something drew you uh, to come in here. You live in Morgan County, Washington County, Paul Paul, uh, somewhere, uh, but you, uh, you, uh, your life has a setting. Uh, characters have been involved in your life. And you might think, yeah, there's been a lot of characters uh, involved in my life. And what I mean is the people, the people involved uh, in, in your life. Parents, brothers, sisters, extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins. I had a mammal. Did anybody have a mammal? Yeah, I'm from southern West Virginia. I had a mammal. And on my mom's side, I had a G-daddy. Yeah, it was my grandfather, G-daddy. We've had friends, neighbors, classmates, co-workers. And everyone uh, has a particular point of view on their life. That is, things that have happened to you in your life. Things that has been said to you. Things that you've learned or heard, friends that you've had, have all shaped the way that you see the world, right? Everyone has a point of view, a, a set of glasses or lens through which they interpret uh, the world uh, around them. Your stories had conflict. Anyone's story in here uh, not have any conflict? All right, so you got a story then, right? Yeah, you got a story. If it doesn't have any conflict, please come see me afterwards. I would love to know uh, the secret to your success. Um, but uh, a conflict, and you can't proceed, right? That is conflict. Um, sometimes our lives feel like a junk drawer. Anybody got a drunk drawer? Yeah, it's hard not to have a drunk junk drawer, you know what I mean? But that's just a drawer that you throw a bunch of junk in that you don't got any other place uh, for, right? And typically, your junk drawer doesn't have a lot of treasure in it, does it? All right? Maybe it does. Maybe that's where you keep your, your little nest egg. You put it in the junk drawer, you know. But I pull my junk drawer open, I see toenail clippers, right? Uh, I see way too many um, cell phone chargers. And I'm like, why do we have 10 of the same charger? Um, I've tried to organize them before. It didn't work out. Uh, measuring tape. Uh, and maybe there's a piece of gum in there sometime, which is a real treat, like a piece of a Tootsie Roll or, or, or something like that. Um, yeah, but anyway, think about, think about your, week, your week this past week, your story. I would imagine that it was pretty ordinary. It was pretty typical, just normal, uh, everyday stuff. You went to work? You went home? Maybe you hung out with some people, right? Uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is this chapter is just plain ordinary, Right, uh, Ruth chapter 2, you may have gotten bored as I read it. Right? It's just ordinary, everyday life, right? And, and we're not going to look at all the details here, right? We're just going to hone in on, on a couple important things, right? But what's going on in Ruth chapter 2? What's going on in Ruth chapter 2? Here's what's going on. People are going to work. That's it. People, people are just uh, going to work. Ruth is going to work to take care of her mother-in-law. Boaz is going to work to oversee uh, his small business. Right? These are things that, that we do uh, on a regular basis. Look at that in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain? going to work behind someone with whom I find favor. Naomi answered, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field uh, to gather grain behind the harvester. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. This is his business who was from Elimelech's family. So here's what's going on. These two poor women 
are looking for food. And right in the middle of their ordinary, everyday lives, I want you to look at what it says. She happened to be in the field, in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to enter into this particular field. Right? Now, this is the author is, is intentionally being ironic here. And what that means is it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. It was planned. It was destined. It was determined that she enter into this particular field in this moment and this particular uh, time, right? Um, saying it just happened is the author's way of dismantling every other way of interpreting this random, ordinary circumstance. So it wasn't chance. It wasn't just random chance that she ended up working in this field on this day. It wasn't fate. It wasn't fortune. It wasn't good luck. Here's the reason it wasn't those things, because those things aren't real. Those things don't have any uh, agency or reality to them. The text is screaming to us, look at what God is doing. This is the hand of God at work here. So if you think about it, there were probably millions and millions and millions and millions of tiny little details, ordinary things that had to have happened for her to arrive at this field at this particular moment. I'll give you a couple just from this book, from the book of Ruth. We've only been in uh, one chapter so far. All right. Ruth just happened to marry Naomi's, one of Naomi's sons. And in the tragedy of the death of all the men in their, in their family, um, Naomi just happened to hear that there was food back in her hometown in Bethlehem. And Ruth just happened to want to leave her country, her family, religion, to follow Naomi. And then she just happened to stumble into Boaz's field. And the two of them just happened to have met. And I took out a lot here because I'd have been going on and on. But there was millions of tiny little details um, that had to have happened for her to show up at this particular moment, this particular time. So here's what this story and what this, that God has a plan, that God is at work in the ordinary, everyday stuff of our lives, that there, ain't no, there is no random circumstances uh, or, or chance events. This is what uh, historically uh, theo theologians have called the providence of God, right? which means that God intervenes in the everyday things uh, of our life. Um, and the word providence just means that God a long time ago provided for everything in advance. Uh, he's working in time and in space and history. Um, there was a document called the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written in 1563 during the Protestant Reformation. And a catechism, this is the way it works. It is question and answer to teach the essentials of the faith. And here's what it says about the providence of God. What then is the providence of God? There it is. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren, uh, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, <laughs> Yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. You see that? There are no random chance 
fateful events so small that he does not rule them all for his own purposes. That's what Jesus believed. Maybe you're here and you say, I get down with Jesus. I like the teaching of Jesus, the person of Jesus. This is what Jesus taught. I'll show you. Matthew 10, 29. This is what he says. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them, not one sparrow throughout the entire creation falls to the ground without your father's consent. And think about that. The teeniest, tiniest, insignificant little bird, not one of them falls to the ground without God the Father's consent. Right? This is what's called an argument from lesser to greater. All right, if God is in control of the most insignificant birds, then he is in control of the big things in life as well. He's concerned about the sparrows, but he's concerned about the big things as well. Now listen, I know that every single one of you in here are amazing. I believe that. I believe that you're all superstars. In my eyes, you are a superstar, and I am very thankful to you, right? Yes, Hugh is absolutely a superstar, right? And listen, I don't want any problems this morning. Listen, don't sucker punch me when, uh, when the service is over, right? Uh, I'm too old for that. I'm fragile right now. But your story is little. Your and my story is very teeny tiny. But here's what our culture says. Our culture says there is no big story. It says the Bible's story is not true. There is no big story out there. And this is what fancy people, academics, philosophers call the incredulity to meta-narratives. All right? You can throw that in the trash. I just figured I'd let you know that I know it. Right? And this is the world that we live in. This is this post-postmodern culture that we live in, right, is there's no big story out there, so the only thing that's left is your story. And what you have to do is you have to create the story from yourself, that you are the one who creates meaning and purpose, and it's all about, so the big story gets shrunk down to everyone's little personal stories. So what we see in our culture is a huge emphasis on stories, right? I recently took a trip back uh, from Nebraska, uh, and I was on a plane from uh, Chicago to Dulles. Young man sitting in front of me, and I watched him the whole time curate his Facebook story. And I can tell you everything that he did. Right? He went to Chicago, met this young lady. They were probably boyfriend, girlfriend. Had a great weekend. They went to the club. They were partying, taking shots at the bar, living it up. They were out seeing the sights. He was posing, looking all good, looking sharp. I was like, man, look at this guy, man. Put this Facebook story away. Uh, but he, he was curating this thing the whole, the whole time. And I'm not hating on Facebook stories. All I'm saying is, into Chicago with, with your girlfriend and the shots that you took. You see, when, when we shrink our stories down to make it the big story, we try to blow it up like a balloon with some helium. We just keep blowing it up and blowing it up. You know what happens when you keep blowing up a balloon eventually? Pops. That's right, Miss Linda. It can't handle the pressure. Your life cannot be the big story. It can't uh, handle it. See, this is where this little story in the book of Ruth challenges us, right? And it gives us great encouragement and great hope because here's the second thing. Your story is a part of God's story. You see that? Your story is a part of God's story, and that's what this book is trying to show us, right? If you think about what's going on in this chapter, it is everyday stuff, Things that you and I do uh, every day. Anybody try to put food on the table last week? Yeah, that's what they're doing. 
They're just trying to put, uh, put food on, on the table. You, anybody got responsibilities in here? Yeah, they're trying to take care of their responsibilities. Take care of my mother-in-law, take care of my family, my business, and my, my community. But in the midst of all this stuff that looks like a junk drawer is treasure. These two women had absolutely no clue what God was cooking up right here. In this seemingly insignificant junk drawer situation, God was bringing treasure out. God was cooking up. Here, here's what's going on. God was going to use them to save the world. How about that? Choose that. Uh, chew on that for a second. God was using these two widows and this bachelor in a small town to save the world. A bunch of no-name people, two widows, a bachelor, a small town, and God says, watch this. Watch what I'm about to do right here in this ordinary situation, right, in this junk drawer of a life here that seems random and meaningless and purposeless. Watch what I'm going to uh, bring out of it. And it was all part of his plan, all part of God's plan. Let me explain this to you real quick. God created everything, put humanity here. We said, peace out, God. And we said, we're going to live uh, in, in, in our own dependence and make up our own little stories, right? Plunge the world into misery and chaos. And God said, you know, I'm going to help you out. I'm going I'm to save everything. He chose one nation, the nation of Israel, through whom he would bring the Messiah who would save the world. And we're like mid-story right here. God chose Israel, brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and gave them their own property, the land of Canaan. And, uh, and all the families that, that he brought out of Egypt got, a, got a, a piece of property. And God in his wisdom knew that things don't always work out in life and that some of these folks are going to lose their property and they're going to end up in poverty. And God provided laws uh, within the first part of the Bible to protect these people from going into poverty and be able to get their property back. And one of these laws was someone else in your family could buy your property back for you. It had to be someone within the family to buy back or redeem uh, your property. And that's what Naomi realizes when Ruth just stumbles into Boaz's field. Look at it. Ruth 2.20. You guys still with me? Okay. All right. Follow along. We're, we're going somewhere. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned, talking about Boaz, and not abandoned his kindness to the living of the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our family uh, redeemers. But here's where it gets interesting, though. For Boaz to rescue this family would have meant he would have had to pay off an enormous debt. He would have had to, of his own resources, buy the family's property back. All right? But that wouldn't have helped because after he bought it back, there was no children to inherit it, so it just would have went into someone else's hands anyway. All right? So... The only thing left he could do was uh, to marry Naomi and then for them to have uh, kids and to, and to pass it on. And God, in his wisdom, gave the children of Israel a law for that as well. It's called leveret marriage. Leveret marriage is incredibly kind of God and incredibly sacrificial for someone to do. Think equivalent of adoption. Someone in your family uh, dies and you bring their kids into your own family. That is very sacrificial and very kind and gracious uh, to do something like it, and that's what it's talking about. But here's the deal. Naomi was older at this point. She couldn't have any kids, so we're back to square one. So the only way 
for this family to be rescued and for Boaz uh, to redeem them was to marry the daughter-in-law, um, Ruth. And eventually that's what happens. And we're going to see that, right? But here's what I want you guys to see. This was God's plan to redeem the entire world, for Boaz to marry Ruth. Because this family, when Boaz married Ruth, and you look at their family tree, you know who eventually is end up, ends up in their family tree? Jesus Christ. If they wouldn't have got married, there would be no Jesus. See, Jesus came through the lineage of Boaz and Ruth, that Jesus' flesh and blood had Boaz and Ruth's flesh and blood, that Jesus' genes, he had their genes um, in, his, in his body. Uh, when I was living in uh, Richmond, Virginia for 10 years, you, you know you had to be very careful where you parked. You had to make sure you, you read the, the, the signs carefully, um, and they were confusing at times, because if not, you would come out and your car would be gone, all right? Which happened to me before. And I went in somewhere, a park came out, my car is gone, right? You, you, you think you lost your mind. You know, where did I park at? My car is absolutely gone. Who took my car, right? So eventually I figured out what was going on. I had to go to the place where it got towed, and I had to buy it back. I had to pay a fee to redeem my own vehicle, right? And this is what Jesus does for us, exactly what Jesus does for us. Listen, when we think life is about our story, when we think life is about our little story and we blow it up like a balloon in helium, that creates a debt before God. It creates a debt before God. And here's how you know if you've ever lived, if, this, if your story was the big story. Here's a couple tests. If you've made your story the big story, right? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lusted for something? That is, you wanted it so bad. You had to have it. And it didn't bring anything good into your life when you got it. You ever lusted for somebody? You've, you've made them almost like a God, like a Savior, and thought, man, if I just had them, if I'm just with, with them, or I had this thing, then all my, my wildest dreams uh, would come true. You ever wanted control in your life? You ever been anxious in your life? You ever been too sad in your life? Right, well, that's when you've made your story uh, uh, the big story. And when it's about you, your wants, and your lust, here's what they do. They impound you. You, you impound yourself like my car got impounded, right? You, you, you create a sin debt, according to the Scripture, that just piles and piles and piles and piles and piles, right? Just like if, 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 if I kept getting my car impounded, kept getting it impounded, kept getting it impounded until I did away with all my savings to where I could never get it out again. This is why Jesus came. He came to redeem you, to buy you back at a great cost to himself, just like Boaz did for Ruth and her family, Naomi. This is what it says in Titus 2.14. Jesus, he gave himself for us to redeem us. You see that? That's what Jesus did. He gave himself up for you to buy you back from all lawlessness, that is sin, and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good work. See, Jesus came to pay our sin debts, which was completely undeserving. 
Did you hear Ruth in the story? Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why are you doing this for me, a foreigner? Right? It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus comes and pays our debts for us. If someone paid your debt off, what would you think? Why would you do this for me? This is my, my fault. I created this debt. Why would you pay my This is what Jesus does for us. This is what happened at the cross. What happened in his burial. What happened in his resurrection. Christ paid the debts of our sin and he paid it in full. Right? And we got the receipt. And guess what? Jesus doesn't just pay our debts in full. He gives us a whole new life. That is the beauty of what Christ has done. Listen, Ruth and Naomi, they didn't have a life when they came back to Bethlehem. They didn't have a life. She said, listen, I went away full. I had a family. Everything was going good. But I came back empty. I came back bitter. God is afflicting me. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. Maybe you're here and you come in and you, you feel empty. You feel bitter. You feel angry. You feel like something's missing. You tried. Maybe you tried a lot of different beliefs and systems and things, and you still got the same issues in your life. But notice when, when Naomi heard that Ruth stumbled into the field of Boaz, all of a sudden she perked up, didn't she? All of a sudden she's like, whoa, whoa, well, this is our chance right here. This is someone who could redeem us, right? That was the moment that the light began to shine in her darkness. Because, listen, she was about ready to get a whole new life. Because once Ruth married Boaz, that meant everything that belonged to Boaz was hers. She got all of his money. She got all of his property. She got her ancestors' property back. She got that and then some. When you come to believe in Jesus, he cancels your debt. He pays your debt, but he also gives you a whole new life. Right? It is absolute. Jesus doesn't just pay our debts, right? It's just like the song that we sang this morning. In Jesus Christ, we can come to the Father and we have all that we need because all of who God is is in Christ. And if we belong to Jesus, that means we have everything that belongs to God. Right? We don't just have forgiveness. We have everything, uh, all of who Jesus is, his righteousness, right? his love and his goodness, and inherit all things in him. Naomi's debts were paid and they were redeemed through marriage. That's how she got her debts paid. Her daughter-in-law married Boaz. She got her debts paid. Now, how can me and you have our sin debts paid and get a whole new life? How, how does that happen? I think this, 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 this chapter gives us a clue. All right, When Boaz meets Ruth out in the field and he compliments her for how hard she's working and how good of a person she is, look what it says. Ruth 2.12 May the Lord reward you for what you've done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel look at this, under whose wings you have come for refuge. How beautiful is that? Here's how you get your sin debt paid and you get a whole new life in Christ. You come up underneath the wings of the Lord God of Israel. Right, you come up underneath the, uh, uh, his wings. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the scriptures of God's care for his people. Right? Boaz imagines God as this beautiful bird, right? Who uh, Birds do this. They protect their chicks underneath their wings. They gather them up, and, and they provide care, and they provide uh, protection um, that way. I was hunting this past Tuesday. There's a 
all of a sudden I noticed a hawk swooping down like right beside the tree I was in outstretched right I had about 10 squirrels around me that were driving me nuts and I was like get him get him right and he tried to get that squirrel missed it jumped up on a limb like right beside me and here's this hawk I mean it was massive I don't know if it was that big but it was big I was like look at how beautiful and amazing this thing is right but it's the wings right the the, the wings uh, of the Lord Ruth had to come under the Lord's wings of care and protection. Let me ask you a question. Have you? Have you done that? Right? Are you doing that in your life if you're already a believer in Jesus? How, how can you do that? How can you come underneath the wingtips of the Lord God of Israel? Here's how you do it. You believe that there is a big story out there that God had a plan through this couple, Ruth and Boaz, that eventually Jesus Christ came into the world that paid your sin debt Right at the cross, that he's resurrected, that he's the world's true Lord, and that one day we're going to inherit the entire world in him. That's called the gospel. That at the cross, Jesus died to pay your sin debt. Have you come to believe that? See, because that's the Lord's wingtip of protection. And if you don't believe that, you're not living for that, that's not the main thing in your life, then you're not underneath his wing yet. You need to come up underneath of his wing of care and protection. I want you to think about this question. Think about this question for a second. What would it look like for you to live your whole, to live, for, what would it look like for you to live with your whole heart as if your story was a part of God's story? What would that look like? What would it look like for you and the junk drawer of your life, your little story, to live with your whole heart as if it was a part of God's big story? What would that look like? Here's what I think it would look like. It would look like being a person of noble character. Noble character. That's, that's who Boaz was. Look at, look at verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Abimelech's family. His name was Boaz. You see that? He was a man of noble character. Boaz already believed all this stuff. He believed there was a Lord God of Israel, and he had a big story that he was doing things um, in the world. So we have three great examples here of what it looks like to have noble character. The first is Naomi. You didn't, think, you didn't, you didn't expect her, did you? Chapter 1 looks like she's whining a little bit, complaining, grumbling, being bitter, angry. But we talked about this last week in community group. She had a hard life. And she lost her children. They were sick growing up. Her husband died. Right, here, here she was, believing in the Lord God of Israel. Yet all these bad things were happening to her. Right, but you know what? She never gave up on her faith. She never gave up on, on her faith because she returned to the land of Israel. She came back because she heard that God was doing things in her hometown in Bethlehem. And her faith was renewed in ways that are dumbfounding. When you, when you get to the end of chapter 4, you're going to be like, what a transformation that happened in her life, right? And, and maybe that describes you here this morning. Maybe you've been away from the Lord. Maybe you've been in Moab for a while. You've walked away from him, right? Maybe it's been a while since you've, ever, you've been in something like a, a church service uh, uh, like this, right? Maybe you're here and you feel empty and, and discouraged and beat down and broken, you need to return to the Lord God of Israel this morning. 
You need to come up underneath of uh, uh, his wings uh, here this morning. Let me just suggest something. Maybe the reason that you feel empty or discouraged is because you're just barely underneath. You can just barely feel the wind off of his wingtips. You're all the way out on the edge, and you need to come up under a little bit more. You need to come all the way up underneath of his wing and plug your life all the way into this church. Community group, this, that is for your care and your protection, right? The Lord God of Israel can't protect you when you intentionally stay out there and let his wingtips just flutter on top of you. You need to come all the way underneath of his, his wing. This passage says that Naomi, uh, well, shoot. May the Lord God reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel. Listen, you can't expect a reward from the Lord when you're not underneath his wingtip. Right? You've got to come up underneath of his caring, loving, and protecting wings and come back to your Redeemer. The second is Ruth. second is Ruth. Her faith was fresh. Right? She was new to all this. She was new to believing in, in the Lord. Right? She was a Moabitess that converted. She left all of her gods and all of her people and all of her family to belong to Israel. And, and their God, she was excited and she was bold. And she was stepping out and just doing, she was doing everything that God wanted her to do. Right? She, she, was a, she was amazing. And maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you hear it, man, you are fired up. You are excited. You are ready. You are you are trying to believe and do everything the Bible says and do all that God, you are saying yes, 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 Lord, to everything that he wants you to do, right? Maybe that's you here this morning. Well, keep going. Keep going. Let me ask you this. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? If you're here and you haven't been baptized, good news is December 11th, we got you. We are ready for you. We are ready for you. We want to celebrate. You, you know what you need to do? You need to bless all these people in here with your excitement. And your passion and what God is doing uh, in your life. Here's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is a long obedience in the right direction. That's what the Christian life is. Your whole life long following, trusting, obeying Jesus. Don't go back to the way you were before he found you. Don't go back to Moab. Naomi went to Moab, left the presence of God, the church, and her people. But she came back. She came back. She didn't go back. She didn't go back to Moab. Listen, look at, look at uh, Titus 2.14 again. Titus 2.14. He, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. What should you do? You, you should recognize and know that Jesus paid the price to set you free from all your law-breaking, Right? All breaking God's rules and breaking God's commands and to cleanse you. Right? See, here's what happens when you make your story the big story. Your soul becomes polluted. Right? You become, you feel shameful and dirty. Right? Because God gave you a conscience for a reason to tell you don't do that thing. Or when you've done it, hey, you've done it. You've broken it. And your conscience becomes defiled. Jesus died to cleanse you of that. Thank God for that. Anybody think, uh, thankful for a clean conscience? Man, what a burden to have a, have a defiled conscience, right? Jesus died for you to redeem you, to cleanse you, right? Not so that you could go back to those things, so that you could be eager to do good things. You see that? 
He did this so that you could be eager to do good works. All right, do that. Last example was Boaz. He was a man of noble character, the scripture says. Noble character. That Hebrew word literally means this. Mighty man of valor. Noble warrior. Military hero. Think about that. Boaz was a mighty man of valor. Noble warrior. A military hero. Man, isn't that what you want to be? Don't you want to be a hero? I want you know, a man of character. A person of depth, substance, weight in your life. Valor, courage, doing what's right, right? Yeah, being a warrior. Even if you're a lady in here, being a warrior. Absolutely. There's some battles for you to fight as well, too. That's who Boaz was. But what was he doing? Was he out at war? No, he was going to work. He was going to work and treating everybody as kind as he possibly could. Noble warrior hero, man of valor. And that's how you be a warrior. That's how you be a warrior. But it only happens. The only way you can do that is if you know that in your mundane, ordinary life, God is up to stuff. He's meddling in the world. He's already provided opportunities for you to seize ahead of time. He's booby-trapped the world for you to walk right into the things that he's doing. Boaz just showed up for work that day, and guess what? He saved the world. How about that? Maybe God's got some stuff for you to do like that just in your ordinary life, right? If you want to be a noble warrior, person of noble character, you need to know that God loves to use the ordinary stuff of life, the everyday stuff of life, Listen to, listen to what Jesus said, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. You see that? And to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus believed that you had a debt that you could not pay, a sin debt that you could not pay, and his death ransomed you out of that. See, he came to serve you in that way. Anybody and everybody who comes underneath the wings of the Lord God of Israel comes through, comes underneath his wings through sacrificial service. Especially the sacrificial service that was spilled out through the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. Not just that. Right? Not just Jesus' sacrificial service, but I want you to know how did Naomi and how did Ruth come underneath the wings of God's care and protection, Boaz. Boaz, right? Yeah, it's through, through him, right? I mean, Boaz was blessing everybody. Did you see, did you, you remember that when you read? He was blessing his workers. He was blessing Ruth. He was doing this. He was doing, there's nothing negative written about him in this, in this whole book. But here's the deal. God had more for him to do. God had more stuff for him to do. He had a wife for him to marry. He had a mother-in-law for him to take care of. He had land for him to redeem and cultivate a family to build a world to save. You think he thought that was a piece of cake? You know, when he realized what was going on, oh, this is the opportunity that God has put in front of me, right, to take care of these two ladies that are getting ready to be in poverty, 
to raise up kids, to buy their property back, spend all my money on them. You think he thought, man, piece of cake, got this. Nothing. It's easy for me. I think he was probably scared. I think he was probably some hesitation, right? But he stepped up to the plate because he was a man of character, and he said, yes, Lord, right? Some of you need to do that here in this room. What is the opportunity that God has put in you? What is the responsibility that God is putting in front of you? What do you need to say, yes, Lord? What is he calling you to do? How is God calling you to get your hands dirty in this church, right? Because if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, God has given you a gift to use to serve and to bless others, to sacrifice for the good of others. What is he calling you to do at home, at work, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, with your money, right? What is, he, what is it that you need to say, you need to stop saying no, Lord, to? Stop pushing his hands away, right? God is booby-trapping your life, and you're walking all the way around it. No, Lord, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And you need to say, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because people need you. The Lord needs you. You want to know how I became a Christian and a pastor? Here's how it happened. There was a guy in this community working in a restaurant with a friend of mine while I was out selling cocaine, a friend of mine who wasn't a Christian, and he showed him the sacrificial kindness of Christ, and he became a Christian. And that guy went down to Virginia Tech, shared the good news of Jesus with another friend of mine who was living a debaucherous lifestyle, who came back and told me about the good news of Jesus and probably saved my life and save my soul, and here we are today. It was someone that you'll never know working in a restaurant. See, we are called to go and do the same. It is in the ordinary, everyday, small, slow, lackluster things of life where the light of Christ is breaking into the darkness. All right? And this is where your story, your little story, is a part of God's massive story and that is amazing that we who are we that our little story gets to be a part of this cosmic story that God is unveiling uh, not only through his scriptures but in time right and that's what we want to respond to now